Every Easter, I always hope that I will see every single member of our congregation walk through those doors. And I hope that for more than ever this year. And part of me wishes that we could all just break the law and that all of you would just break through these doors to get in here. I don't know if that's a, sin, a sinful thought or a pious thought. Actually, I, I know it's a bit of both. My emotion shows the reality of the human condition, that we uh, have been sanctified through Christ's death and our baptism into his death and resurrection, and yet we are still sinners. But it's this reality, this darkness of sin that still clings to us, the darkness of evil still in the world, the darkness of death that, like a plague, still hunts us and will eventually find us. It's this grim reality that makes the brightness of Easter so much brighter. And, and it's a brightness that comes from the most unexpected place. A place that is normally the, the darkest and loneliest place on earth. The tomb. The grave. And yet it's this grave that is extremely and it's a brightness that gives us an even better and more sure hope, even better than my hope of all of you uh, breaking down the portal of the church to get in. It's normally part of my Christmas sermon to preach Christ over and against sentimentality and, and say something like, you can take away the Christmas trees, the poinsettias, the presents, the gifts. You can take away even your family and still have everything you need of Christmas. And so now I will say that of Easter. You can take away the lilies, the trumpets. You can take away the full congregation and your family and still have everything you need of Easter. Easter is, of course, about things... <laughs> Not being full, but empty. The empty tomb which assures us that the devil and our consciences have been emptied of their accusations against God's people. Death itself has been <laughs> excuse me, emptied of its power. And our own grace will one day be empty. And while death will still find us, it cannot harm us because Christ's empty tomb has neutered death into nothing but a peaceful sleep. As Hosea proclaims, death, where are your plagues? No, <laughs> no plague can hinder the joy of Christ's resurrection. So in the words of the ex exultant from last night, your darkness now is put to flight. To Christ do praises render. Be glad, O church, sing out your songs. Your temples fill with shouting throngs to hail the glorious victor. So please stand wherever you are, in your home, wherever you are, and be glad, O church, and sing out with joy that will fill every temple, every emptiness, not only the emptiness of our temple, but the temple of your homes, the temple of your body, the temple of the world itself. Let us stand and sing our festival hymn.
Sanctify us by the truth. O Lord, your word is truth. Amen. To the elect, temporary residents in the world, scattered throughout Oregon, Stoughton, Brooklyn, Madison, Evansville, Albany, Belleville, and wherever else you might be, grace and peace be multiplied to you. When the women get to the tomb, they have one emotion, fear. Who will roll the stone away? And when they get there, they're fearful of the great earthquake. Hasn't enough gone wrong already, and now we get a natural disaster? The chief priests and elders who devised the plan in the first place to have Jesus put to death did so out of fear, fear of losing their control over the people. And so after Jesus dies, they go to Pilate, and they say, you need to put guards at the entrance of the tomb because they're afraid the disciples would steal Jesus' body. And so Pilate, fearful for his own power, puts guards at the tomb. But they don't have to worry about the disciples because as John records, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of their fear. Afraid of themselves being killed by their own people, the Jews, and so they are hiding in an isolated room with a locked door. Everyone is afraid, believer and unbeliever, Christian and non-Christian. Before anyone knows the reality of the resurrection, everyone is afraid. They're afraid of different things for different reasons, but they're all afraid. And every single fear is of something they cannot see. Fear is the overwhelming emotion, and it's mixed in with doubt. Was Jesus really who he said he was? With sadness, the man who had been with them as their friend for years is, is dead, and probably even angered. How, how could our government do this? But then something happens. An angel, a messenger, appears from heaven and says, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Then the angel even invites them to come see the proof, to come see the place where Jesus' body lay. And what would you expect that their reaction would be now? What would be their emotion now? I think that we, having heard the account of the resurrection many times before, we would think that, well, their fear would just disappear. Christ has risen. How could they have fear? But Matthew records that after seeing the angel, the guards were so terrified of him that they shook and became like dead men. They were more afraid than before. And of the women, they hurried away from the tomb with fear and great joy. I can understand the soldiers, the guards, being afraid, but the women, they're still afraid? And how could they be afraid and joyful? How could these two things coexist, fear and joy? Well, the women have a greater or a different fear than the guards. To the guards, their worst fear has come true. Well, the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead means that everything he ever said was true. It means that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God's son. And it meant that if Jesus came to die and rise for sin, it meant to them, worst of all, that they were sinners. Their fear went from an earthly fear 
the disciples are going to come steal his body to an eternal fear. They had only fear. But the women, while they still had fear too, it was now no longer mixed in with sadness, despair, and anger, but with joy. See, the resurrection isn't some magic trick that magically makes everything better and magically makes everything happy. Rather, the resurrection is the confirmation of our faith. The resurrection was the confirmation of their faith, and it's faith that overcomes fear. And not just any faith. See, the guards had faith too, faith in themselves. But the faith that overcomes fear is the faith in what Jesus' resurrection means. This is what Peter was talking about in our epistle. He said, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is undying, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Through faith, you are being protected by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end of time. The resurrection changes things. An empty tomb, a folded burial cloth, a physically risen Jesus, Jesus who was crucified and dead, is now risen. All these things are signs to our faith that Jesus has done what he said he was going to do and that he has opened heaven to us. Our salvation will be revealed at the end of time. And now some will say, well, gee, is that all? The end, or the resurrection at the end, certainly doesn't seem all that important now that there's a global pandemic. Jesus rose from the dead and opened heaven. Great. Is that all Christianity has to say? And the simple answer is yes. Because without the resurrection, there is nothing to say. Now, some will try to dress up all the world's problems and, and euphemize death. But this is just their attempt to distract themselves from fear. When trial upon trial, grief upon grief pile up in the lives of unbelievers, they are led to become bitter and curse. Curse those around them, curse even God, whoever, think, whoever they think he might be. The unbeliever is left without hope and without joy in this life. Like the guards, they have only fear. And eventually, death itself may even be viewed as a welcomed friend, imagining nothing could be worse than the present difficulties. But this, this ignorance of hell does not make it disappear. I'm a member of a number of different community groups on Facebook, and on one of them, someone asked what everybody is doing for Easter during this pandemic. And there were a few saying that they were going to virtual church, but, but some of the responses were things like, like drinking. It's the only way to survive. Or proclaiming platitudes like, life always goes on, life always gets better, or it doesn't matter. And some people think Christianity has nothing to say. Now, to be fair, Christianity in our day 
has tended to become nothing but feel-goodism. American pop Christianity. A, a social club with free coffee and a Jesus who tells you how to live your best life. And if that's all Christianity is, if Jesus is just a guy who's a good teacher or a good moral example or a guy who makes people happy, then Christianity is nothing. And none of that, nothing from pop American Christianity has anything to say to our present world. There is no hope in a Christianity that is just about being happy in this life. But that's not the message of Christianity. What brings Christians together is Christ who is risen from the dead. Without the resurrection, we have no word for death. We have no word, no hope in a world like ours. It would mean death and life are both meaningless. But it's the resurrection that gives us hope not only for the life to come, but for this life now. The resurrection changes things. And it doesn't just change things. God doesn't just want you to change, to, to, to be a different person, or to, to be a better person, or, or to be a more fulfilled person. But as Peter says, the resurrection makes you new. It gives you a new birth into a living hope. Whatever your past sins have been, whatever your past failures were, whatever your past circumstances has all been wiped clean, and you are made completely new. And this happens each and every time, each and every day to the baptized Christian who receives the Lord's promise again and again that because Christ is risen, it means they are forgiven. And it's this faith that you have been baptized into that gives you access to all of God's continued protection, which he provides to you in his word and in his sacraments. And because of this, this current protection that God gives you because of Jesus' resurrection and your baptism into that, that Peter says, you rejoice very much, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various kinds of trials. So the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which passes away even though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You and I still have fear. We still have things that happen in our lives and in our world that cause us to be afraid. Death still finds us. Plagues still threaten us. And we can look around at our present grief, and it can seem like an eternity. But like the women running away from the open tomb, we can run in the knowledge of the resurrection and go forth into our lives, not just with fear, but with joy. With great joy. A joy that comes through faith in the resurrection's proclamation that the grave has no power, that death itself has lost its sting, and all of these present troubles will only last a little while. Even if this plague never ends, even if things don't get better, even if we die because of it, it still only lasts a little while. And it will result in praise, glory, and honor at the resurrection at the last day. This is why your faith is worth more than gold, more than anything else in our lives, why we could do away with anything else. Gold has to be purified by fire. But if you heat it long enough, even 
long enough and hard enough, even gold, too, will pass away. But your faith, as it is tested by trials and endures hardships in this crazy life, will not pass away. Because your faith is founded on something more sure, more strong. It's founded on the resurrection of Jesus. And it is nourished and protected by God's means of grace, his word and sacraments. And Peter says, Though you do not see him now, yet by believing in him, you are filled with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The soldiers saw the proof of the resurrection, but they had no faith. Their seeing led them only to a greater fear. You, even though all you can see around you now are trials and difficulties, you have faith in the promise of Jesus, something that you cannot see. And your faith leads you to not a greater fear, but a greater joy. A, a, a greater joy in the midst of trials and a joy that looks beyond this life, beyond your trials, beyond your fears to the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The message of Christ, risen from the dead, has sustained the church for 2,000 years. If death itself, the most powerful harbinger of fear, could not have victory over Jesus, what chance is anything else in this world that threatens the church? What chance do they stand? Like the women on their way to tell the disciples who were cowering out of fear in a locked room. Go forth with joy. A joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Who else but someone who knows what the death of Jesus would mean in three days? Who else but, but someone who knows what your death means could have joy even in the face of fear? So go forth with joy to a world filled with fear. Soon your faith will be made perfect and all your fear will pass away and you will be left with pure joy. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.